We're outside the travel agency, a cannabis store that's got everyone buzzing. When I walked in, I felt like I was in the elite of the skies, like I'm about to get elevated and lifted in the best way. Got the important essential things. I need sleep, so tinctures, salves to relax my body, right? The best New York flowers. Come down to the travel agency and see for yourself. For use only by adults age 21 and older. Keep out of reach of children and pets. In case of accidental ingestion or overconsumption, contact the National Poison Control Center. Consume responsibly. Recorded live. That time, ladies and gentlemen, for Inside the SFL. This time we are coming live from my deathbed. Okay, maybe not. Uh, Mighty, you with me? Yes, I am, sir. I am glad to see that you're in good spirits and you're able to laugh at your current situation, which means we're all good. We're all good. You all got to see on Slack earlier. Cam happened to mention I was saying jokes. To enlighten everybody on what the joke was, I told him that I had overheard the doctors making a statement about, you know, possibility of losing a leg or whatever. So I said to Cam, I said, well, as positives, if I lose my legs during this situation, he was like, okay. I said, uh, for the rest of my life, I will save money not having to buy socks and sneakers. There you go. quickly uh we're starting to see what some teams are and what they're not and some teams who we thought had stripes have spots and some teams that have spots that we thought had spots have stripes so um you know there's still time for teams that are struggling to recover indeed as it's turning into an interesting interesting season uh but before we get into week five, we might as well do what we always 
quick recap of week four. Bederev, um, we'll start by giving you some congratulations on stacking wins and making it, uh, you know, making a two above 500 and and taking care of business against the, the Carolina Skyhawks in primetime. Indeed, indeed. That was uh, a nail-biter. Uh, kudos to those guys, James Klein, Andy Hamilton, Shane, uh, Shannon Varner. They brought it. Uh, if we weren't on our A game, we would have lost that game, plain and simple. So there was no more room for error in that game. And I think these guys are finally getting to where they feel they need to be to be a serious contender. Um, we'll get into their game this week with OKC. Um, but I'm starting to like their chances this week. But uh, yeah. But back to week four. Okay. Uh, the the I'll say this about the game. I was expecting the game to be a little higher scoring than that. Uh, both defenses came out and and like with like they had something to prove, and it wound up being more about which quarterback would make the least mistakes. And when there was a chance for Carolina to tie the ball game, possibly send the game to overtime, uh, Monroe just fell flat on his face and turned the ball over. And that pretty much sealed the sealed the deal for the Carolina Skyhawks. Um, so they they're they're on the they're on the precipice. They're right there. Every week they're right there. So let's you know let's let's keep stay you know staying tuned and see if they could you know finally get over that hump to get that first win. Because I have a feeling once they get that that first win in, it'll start a trickle effect where they'll be you know racking them up one after another. So. Um, Let's just yeah. So let let let's let's stay tuned. That's all I got to say about that. Um, the next matchup we had that shootout in Mexico City where the Tallahassee Pride uh, basically outlasted the Mexico City Aztecs, uh, thirty-six to twenty-seven. What do you think about that one, Doug? Uh, well, that game was an interesting one. I'm still sitting here in shock that Mexico City is currently falling down to one and three. I didn't expect that coming into the season. Uh, but that with that particular game, um, you would be able to think 394 yards, 27 points could win you a game. But when you're giving up 36 points and 458 yards, it's like, ouch. Um, couldn't get Bentley going no matter what. Just couldn't get him going. Uh, they held just Jay Calvin came in check for the most part. Get 87 yards on 27 carries. That's that's doing the thing. But they they pride do what they usually do: spread the ball all over the place. Uh, two receivers over 100 yards. They had three guys with seven catches or more. But not to take away from Mexico City, Davis and Barrett both had eight catches, both scored touchdowns, 163 yards, 128 yards. Um, it's just they got pulled away from there in the, in the fourth quarter. But uh, Tallahassee. Are they for real or are they not for real? We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but Mexico City, I believe, is much stronger than the one and three record shows. There's something askew about Mexico City. Um, we all thought the offense would be a little better than what it's shown to be. Now, mind you, they're still averaging quite a bit of points per game. Um, 
but that's not what I'm saying there. I'm saying it doesn't feel like explosive, like, you know, one for the first down touchdown or like it used to be last season. Now, the change in the, 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 the little tweak that they had to do in the build might have affected or teams uh, being wiser about how they defend against them and make them kind of earn every yard, um, if you want to use that term. Is that what's affecting their ability to score points in bunches and in a hurry? Maybe. But that that's what that game felt like. It felt like Mexico City's offense in this game would have had to be the reason why um, this game, you know, to the, Mexico City's offense would have been the part of the, the side of the ball that would have had to carry him against Tallahassee. And that's not exactly what happened especially with the way the defense is struggling. If the defense isn't taking the ball away, well, it's not doing much of anything again of being a hindrance or an obstacle for opposing teams. So um, if teams can keep the ball, you know, away from Mexico City's hands um, by being, you know, careful with it, not losing that turnover battle to Mexico City, Mexico City's going to have a long season ahead of them until they're able to fix that defense, at least to the point where it could – put up a little more resistance than it currently is. Um, the next matchup, we got the Atlanta Swarm putting up a 50-burger on the St. Louis Gladiators. Um, what say you about that game, though? Hold on, hold on. Yep, Swarm just scored again. Uh, wow, that's all I can say is, wow. I mean, the Gladiators got up 10 points the end of the game in garbage time or that game would have been a lot worse uh the swarms starters got pulled out way early or that game would have been a lot worse 606 yards seven touchdown passes 132 yards rushing um what couldn't they do chisholm uh blue chisholm 213 yards receiving three touchdowns nick t quick had four receptions 155 yards and three touchdowns uh, Vincent had one catch and it was for 60 yards and a score. Insanity. Uh, they picked off Thomas four times. Uh, Park, he told that he did his thing. That boy had 163 yards on 28 carries. Um, starting to believe the Gladiators need to just lean on the little dynamo more and more each week and they might find their rhythm. And uh, that Thomas fella, uh, we keep talking about how unique he is. Some quarterback draws, which I'm not a fan of, or some bootlegs or rollouts. I'm just throwing random shit out right now. Something that'll stick. I think he might be able to pull it off on like any other quarterback. Who knows? At this point, they ain't got nothing to lose. Defensively, it seems like each week, Jimmy Cash, who's the defensive coordinator, is trying something different. He's trying to find his his footing. Um, all I can say is to the St. Louis Gladiator organization, you've lost three in a row. All three games, you've given up 50 or more. Don't give up. Just keep pushing. Don't get frustrated with each other. Don't pull guys out of their spots. This is the one thing I'm afraid is going to happen over there, that somebody's going to lose their coordinating job. And when you do that, you're going right back to square one. You're going to start all over again. Keep who you have in place. Let each other figure it out. Work together and figure it out. But let whoever's in their spots remain there and call the shots. Just just what I'm thinking might happen over there because I mean, you're getting embarrassed each week. Mm-hmm. Frustrations might show, and it's like time for a change. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's a dangerous build. They just can't figure out how to get it clicking. 
The Swarm, on the other hand, they're rolling. Number one offense in the league. Baby brother, Mr. Taco, he's got his offense clicking for a rookie coach. Through the first four weeks, he's doing his thing. And we'll get more into the Swarm here in a little bit because I'm sure you have a added interest in them this week. But uh, what was your thought on this game? I don't know what kind of uh, psychedelics uh, you know they're allowing people to do down there, but they just need to whatever the concoction they have for this game to keep the, they need to keep feeding him that because um, he came out and like a man on a mission, like he has something to prove after I guess after that 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 loss to um, Tallahassee in prime time. It's like you know what? No, I'm gonna show y'all that. We could do this. We could put up points, and we can, you know, we, we're not the offense that struggles on a regular basis. And my goodness, because they were just slinging the ball all over the place. It was crazy. And, and but speaking, tacking on on that St. Louis Gladiators thing, like like I've been saying all season, there's some with that build that's there. It's just uh, ho- hopefully they don't run out of time before they find the correct recipe to to get this thing going in the right direction, because. Offensively, they have a little, you know, they 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 got they got a squad on offense. It's just the defense puts them in such a hole that you know, offensively they they kind of have to take the ball away from each rule in the way they want to keep them involved because they're having to throw every down, and that's where their you know these lopsided scores wind up coming from. You know, if the game were close in the fourth quarter, um, Parky is still a threat, and then Jalen Thomas could then have his pick of the litter so to speak, because he'll have one-on-one coverage on the outside. So, um, hopefully, like I said, St. Louis, let's hope that y'all could turn it around and find the recipe to make that, that defensive, the build on the defensive side work. And, wow, P-Funk. P-Funk. That's, that's all I got to say. P-Funk. P-Funk came to play. Um, and, and apparently the upset of the week the Alaska Storm as the Sioux Falls Sparrows, um, twenty-four to seventeen. What do what do you think about that game, Doug? <laughs> uh, where to start with that game? That game kind of caught everyone off guard, like you said. Because the Sparrows went into that game the favorite, you know that, and losing. Isn't the big shock to me? The biggest shock to me in that game was the fact that they were held to 272 yards of offense, uh, and and that Tyree didn't throw multiple touchdown passes. Uh, I don't know the last time that's happened to him. I'd actually have to look it up, which I can do here in a moment. Uh, Miller, Jennings, those guys did their thing like usual, but Beakley Jr. I think Alaska's starting to figure out how to use them. Murdoch Mock, 26-34. I think they're starting to figure out how to use them. And another thing that stood out to me was the fact that not one, not two, not three, not four, but five star players caught more than two receptions. The ball was spread all over the place, which means defenses have to be honest all over the place, not just with one guy or this guy, not that side of the field, everywhere. I mean, Merrill, Klein, Beakley, Muhammad, Watts, everybody got involved. Uh, it was the complete package. So 
I, I you really can't say much about it because it's just it's insanity what happened. It, it really is. So uh, kudos to to you and your team for for beating the sparrows. Uh, any any win over Jason and company is, uh, is very very much earned. And uh, I'm sure Jason would say yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to do that research here real quick. Julian Tyree. The last time Julian Tyree had a game where he threw, uh, was it one touchdown or less, uh, happened to be against the San Francisco Bulldogs in the wow. season, which was March the 13th, 2016. He was 14 of 21 for one touchdown and one interception, and he had 153 yards in that game. San Fran with that defense, wow. And he had one, two, three, one touchdown passing games that year and a zero touchdown passing game that year. Um, And last season, which was the summer 16 season, he had zero, I'll say that again, zero games where he had less than two touchdown passes. Every game it was two or more touchdown passes. So it had been over a season since that has happened to him. So that's why I'm saying I knew it would have been a long time. That's what stood out to me more than, more than anything else in that game. So much to be proud of. Um, like I had said, going into this game last week, we left no stone unturned, and there are some things that we saw that we felt like we could uh, take advantage of that were presenting themselves, and there were some things that we knew in our playbook that we just had to get rid of because it just didn't work for our team builds, and it just all came to fruition together um, on Sunday, and we played nowhere near a perfect game. There are still things that we need to work on, but I'm very happy by the complete and total effort that our our team put forth, and, you know, kudos to the Sparrows because, you know, they're they're a problem whenever you have to face them. Especially if you're not prepared, and I just I'm just glad that the, the team executed the game plan um, that that that, we, that was put together by the coaching staff. So uh, hopefully um, this is a sign of things to come, and not uh, you know a, a, a one week wonder at least at least for the Stone Meadows. Um, and last, I'm waiting to hear it. And, and last but not least, in our game of the week, just, we have just this, say it. I, I was waiting to hear something. What was that? Was it? Was it? Wait, I was waiting no. to hear. It. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Where, where's the thank you? Thank you. I, just, I did say thank you. No. Um, well, uh, do you know what you're thanking me for? What am I thanking you for? I'm gonna have to rub it in all season long. That forty-one to six. I'm thinking that's what made you really hit the freaking books, hit the film. So this ain't happened to me again. And you came back. Got an impressive victory. <laughs> you want to know? You want, you want to know what ticked me off? What really ticked me off was market, was market trends. That's what ticked me off. You really want to know? At one forty-one to six, I could deal with the loss. Like I told you early in the season, you're trying stuff, you you know, putting stuff in the playbook, putting stuff, taking stuff out of the playbook. Not an issue. Market trends ticked me off when they didn't know who my second corner was. Oh, who's that other guy for a second? Is he even a Carol. star? Like really? That's what. That's that. Yes, that's what ticked me off. And I even, Evan believe Carroll. it or not, how do you believe not it or not, Evan Carroll? Because he's got one of the greatest defensive plays so far this season. When he ran down, dude, from forty yards behind, 
that is, was an amazing play. Let me, you want to know how bad it ticked me off? The next day when I went to work, because Evan Carroll is my coworker. I told him, hey, dude, like, in Market Trap, they didn't know who you were. Like, really? They don't remember week one where I was all over the place in Mexico City? Like, apparently not. Like, okay. <laughs> now, you put in work this week, right? I'm like, yeah, I put in work. All right. We'll, we'll show them Saturday. And there you go. So that's what ticked me off. It wasn't the loss. I could deal with L. It's disrespect. Don't disrespect the storm. That's all I'm saying. Oh, it hurts to laugh, but I'm glad I'm laughing. All right. All right, moving on. All righty. And in our game of the week, that was, you know, with the play-by-play from our own Doug and Doug. I'm going to call Doug Hamilton. That's so terrible. Andy Hamilton. Hmm. The Houston Hyenas outlasted the Queen City Corsairs. 34 to 20. What do you, you think about that game, Doug? I didn't bother to watch that game. Who wants to watch a game full of joke owners? No, I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> I had to do that because DeMond. I love giving DeMond the business. Uh, well, Houston and Queen City, 34 to 20. Um, I mean, it was a real struggle. I mean, it was twice. I don't know if anybody realized this, but with the game cam call, which is Carolina and L.A., and the Houston and Queen City game, both games went to halftime without a touchdown score. Mm-hmm. Carolina went to halftime 3 nothing. This one went into halftime 6-3 to Houston. So it was nothing but field goals. Four for those who can't add. And then in the second half, you have explosion of points. Uh, this game more so than the, the game uh, on Saturday. But uh, it was an even game. I mean, here's the thing. Here's some stats people ain't going to realize. Houston only had 360 yards of offense, 30, 40 less yards than Queen City had, which I thought was like, wow. They only had 5.3 yards of play, which is much further down than their average on the season. Um, the passing game, they still threw the interceptions like they usually do, but so did Caswell. Um Marcus Allen Bose outrushed Deion Hawkins, but Deion Hawkins got the touchdowns. It just seemed like wherever Queen City did something, Houston was able to do it one step better or do enough just to get over the hump. I mean, legacy, eight catches for 151 yards. DR Sim only had six for 124, but still, they got the win. I, I don't know how much more Queen City needed to do and the only thing I can keep thinking of is team build, team build, team build. Um, and I think you know what I mean by that. Yep. That's the only thing that stood out to me. It must be the team build. You know, we question we question a lot about the lack of a strong safety in St. Louis. This Queen City team has two generic corners, and I think, honestly, that was the difference in this ballgame more than anything else because I – sit here and I watched it and I actually watched it back just the other day just for this show and uh, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not, you can confirm it for me one way or the other I got a gut feeling that they have even two bronze just even two bronze corners I think Queen City wins that ball game I I just believe it And 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 why and and watching that game Monday night, um, going to half, 
with the score six three. You, you, I, I was thinking. I don't know about anybody. I was thinking like, you know what? Quincy got a chance to to, to take this one, but it felt like they left the defense in the locker room because the defense they played in that first half was not the same defense that was played after halftime. And it was, you know, they say, like, halftime adjustments don't happen. Eh, half adjust, halftime adjustments are real, folks. Like, because you can tell there are two different games almost being played on, on the same field. You know, in the first half, I don't know if they were feeling each other out, you know, trying out, you know, the AFs trying out plays, seeing what worked, what didn't, and kind of, like, kind of kept the backlog. Okay, this could work. We saw something here. This won't work. Because it's not like Houston didn't dominate them yardage-wise. You know, Hawkins didn't do much damage. He had, you know, a 32-yard run in there. But besides that, you know, he had to earn his way across that field. And But Queen City just, when it was time to make a play or make a stand, it's like it wasn't in him. And I don't know, you know, we've discussed, you discussed the corners. I, it could be the, the fact that the corners aren't there and the, the, that's why the pass rush can't get there in time because – that extra millisecond that the pastor needs to get there, the receiver's getting open against um, the uh, the non-star corners, or what is there? But there are some adjustments that <laughs> there are some adjustments that, that that need to occur in Queen City to make them more competitive. Because um, you know their one win, besides that one win they have, both of their losses were lopsided losses. Now, mind you, one was you know, a, a, a later in the game, kind of like, you know, they got to the fourth, it was close, and then Sioux Falls dropped like a million points in the fourth quarter. That made their score look lopsided, but at the end of the day, you know, your record is what your record says it is. Um, so I don't know what adjustments they need to do or what plays need to be removed to make sure that, um, you know, receivers don't run wide open in the secondary. So let's see if uh, that staff over there you know, Eric and the rest of the crew can 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 fix what's askew and and you know remain more competitive late in the game so they have a chance to pull it out. <clears throat> yeah, time adjustments are serious. All right, moving along, and Ramos keeps going in and out of the chat. I just not noticed that. Okay. Where are we going from here? I think we just covered every game, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we did. All right. Well, I guess before we get into week five, which is where we go, I want to throw out a uh, small, interesting stat to you. What, you. what you got? Everyone likes to talk about the AI in this, this video game favors the home team, correct? Yes, sir. Home team seems to have the advantage. Well, I want to see if you know what the record of the home team is this season so far through 24 games. We have 500. Games. No, it's not 500. <laughs> <laughs> How many home games have you played so far? 20, uh, 24? We've played 24 games. And what do you think the home record is for the home team? Because like I said, through... What we talk about, what everybody says, and the assumption you'd figure through 24 games, the home team's going to have a significantly much better record. 
So it was just a little stat that I wanted to bring up. Uh, uh, want to take a shot, an honest shot of what the record is in 24 games? Uh, we'll call it, you said 24, 16 and 8. Close. The home team this season, amazingly enough, is 14 and 10. And week hey. 1 through 3, this is the number I found interesting, 1 through 3, each week, two away teams won. Last week, four away teams won their games. So, 14 and 10, the home team's record. So, we've had 10 away team victories. And if uh, I'm not mistaken, I want to double check it to make sure I am not crazy before I say it. Yeah, me not being crazy, go figure. Uh, yes, Vegas beat the Renegades. Uh, Houston beat Queen City. Tallahassee beat Mexico. L.A. beat Carolina, therefore the Storm. And the Swarm were the only home teams that were able to win last week. How ironic you two will be playing this week, and we'll be getting into that. So, uh, and I'll throw these numbers out because I find this interesting. We'll get into all the games here in a moment. But of the six games that are scheduled, uh, one, two, two, three, Three of the four, uh, I think three of the away teams are favored, or maybe two of the away teams are favored. So the the league's still in favor of home teams when they do these who you got. And we'll be getting into, like I said, we'll mention those here in a minute. So uh, just a small stat I wanted to throw out. So why don't we get to one of the things everybody loves to hear here on Inside the SFL, and that is this week's power rankings. Nice. Wow. Well, before you get into that, Doug, I just I want to thank everybody that chimed in and turned in your power rankings. We had a uh, Doug, if I'm not mistaken, we had an all-time high in, in in voters this week, so that is awesome. And we want to thank y'all for participating and let's try to get more people involved in this in these power rankings because this you know we we do them for y'all. This ain't for us. This is for y'all to to have talking points and things to discuss on a regular basis inside Slack and among team members. So um, the the floor is yours, Doug. And to touch on that, uh, the most we've done all season as far as votes, it's happened twice. We had 14 voters. This week we actually got to 20. We had 20 voters. Um, Still not the number that I'd like to see uh, because I think with the amount of people we have, um, we should have more voters. Uh, thanks to the uh, Power Rankings channel that was made, I think that's what helped inspire more guys to get involved. Uh, we had uh, 20 voters, and there's 207 members of Slack on that page, which means only 9.66 of the members of that page took the time to vote. We're not even at 10%. I'd like to see 25% minimum, at least. So, I mean, to to get to to get to 25%, we would need. Let me see. We would probably need 51, 52 votes. That sounds about right. I mean, so we need to like, get some voters up. But hey, 20. I'm not going to argue because it's the best we've done. 
So we're going to go on with it, and we'll do like we always do. We'll see how smart you are. <clears throat> and that is, we'll start with the 14th seed. And this week I'll remember there's 14 teams. I kept messing up saying 16 last week. Um, I told you last week we deserve 16. That's why. I, 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 agree, I agree with you last week. Um, I think I had Alan Drum on the head too much, and it was just getting me off this problem. See, I can't even say the word right. All right, a 14th seed. Who do we think that belongs to? That would be the St. Louis Gladiators. 14th position with 24 points. Now, with 24 points, I want to point this out real quick. We had 20 voters. If the Gladiators, who you think is last, was voted last by everyone, they would have 20 points at this spot. But what I will say is this team was voted last on 16 sheets and 13 on another four. That's how they got the 24 points. Wow. So uh, they have 12. They have the 12th ranked offense and the 14th ranked defense, and they did not move up or down from last week. And it is the 0-3 St. Louis Gladiators. Before we get into 13, I just want to touch on something. This team has been picked basically last by most people. Most people. And this week they had more non-last place votes than they've had all season long since before week one. So they did something to show somebody or maybe another team didn't to put them below them. Whichever way it is, not even going to bother getting into it because everybody has their own opinions. But I just want to throw that out there for St. Louis member teams, team members and fans of that team. They are starting to get a little bit of respect or they're getting respect because they're lacking respect for other teams. So, But moving on, the 13th seed. The 13th seed, I think, is the Carolina Skyhawks. 13th seed with 37 power points. They have the 8th ranked offense, the 10th ranked defense. They did not move up or down last week, and it is the 0-4 Carolina Skyhawks. Yeah. Um, and I don't know who got the Skyhawks this week. If I would be very afraid because once they're, 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 play, they're a play away in every game. At least that's what it feels like to me. They're a play away. You take away a player, add a play, and the result changes drastically. Yeah, be Sky afraid. Be, be afraid of the Skyhawks. So I'm talking to you, Oklahoma City. If you if you're not ready to play, you will you will take an L this week against the Skyhawks. That's it. that's all I'm saying. Um, all right. Takes us to the 12th seed. Ooh, number 12, number 12. I'm taking, taking a wild guess. Uh, the Queen City Corsairs. Well, kind of. Kind of not, because the 12th seed and the 11th seed both have 80 power points. Ooh, we got that. have a tie for 11th, 12th area, but I marked one team 11th and one team 12th just for the simple fact that Last week, that <clears throat> one team was higher than the other, and I was like, maybe that's not the way to do it. And what I did do, so people know, 
is the reason why I marked the one team 11th over the other team is because the one that put 11th actually had the highest ranking vote from someone non-affiliated with either team. Okay. Okay. If that was the highest vote that either team got, I'm just going to technically put that one at 11, the other one at 12. But since they're a tie, I'm going to announce them together. But uh, the two teams are as follows. They're both one and two. The first team has the fourth-ranked offense and the fourth-ranked defense. And, they, and, and think about that. They, this is a team ranked 12th on the power rankings. They're one and two, but they are fourth in offense and fourth in defense. And they dropped three spots, and that's the Oklahoma City Renegades. And the other okay. one is also one and two, had 80 points. They, they're dropping two spots. They're the sixth offense and the ninth defense, and that is the Queen City Corsairs. That that that, that, rank, that ranking uh, reminds me of something you uh, posted uh, in the chat, I think, sometime during the week where they're like, yards don't matter. The only thing that matters is points. Because at the end of the day, if they can't score and you can, you'll win. So that's what I'll say about OKC. Yards are nice, but if if the other team finds a way to score and you can't, you're going to lose. But that's the bottom line. Uh, I get okay. So Queen City and and uh, OKC's off the board. So I'll, I'll go with the Mexico City Aztecs. Tenth seed. They have eighty nine power points. They got the eleventh offense, the thirteenth defense. They did not move up or down the power rankings this week, and it is the one and three Mexico City Aztecs. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, that offense, like I said, there's some tinkering that needs to be done because the playmakers are there. It's all about putting them in position to make the big plays that are possible. And uh, that defense has to find a way to be more of a hindrance. And it's not about be, just being about big, big, big plays. And when I mean plays, I mean by takeaways. Just being able to force a three and out on a regular basis so that offense can get the ball and then do something with it quickly. And then you know be able to stockpile a, a lead, and because that defense plays better with the lead than it does even or from behind. So that that's what I'll say about Mexico City. Right. Uh, that moves us to the ninth seed. At number nine, uh, we'll say we'll say the Sioux Falls Sparrows at number nine. All we could do is just, you know, prepare, get ready, put on a good show, have one more point in the opposition at the end of the game, and move on. That's, that's all we could do. So let's let's hope we did it. Let's hope we did our homework this week. So. Indeed, indeed. J 
he says that's not right. Okay. He disagrees with you being nice. He assumes you should be higher than that. Right. Appreciate the lo- pre- pre- appreciate the love, AJ. Um, okay. All right. Moving on to the eighth seed. Number eight. Since Alaska was eight, then we'll go with we'll go with Sioux Falls. Who the, the Sparrows? They must be number eight. <laughs> All right. The eighth seed with 132 power points, six more points than the Storm. They have the ninth. Ranked offense, the third ranked defense. They have slipped five spots in the power rankings from last week. The two and two Sioux Falls Sparrows. And there we go. They're right there. Um, let's 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 see if last week's game was just a hiccup, or was a chick found in the armor. So we'll see if we'll see if Dallas saw something that they might be able to explore. Or, uh, if, you know, Sioux Falls was able to rectify whatever was the skew last week to put on a, a, a fireworks, a, you know, aerial fire, fireworks that they usually do. <coughs> Before we move on, that was the bottom seven of the league. So I'll do a quick recap. 14, St. Louis Gladiators. 13, Carolina Skyhawks. 12, Oklahoma City Renegades. 11, Queen City Corsairs. 10, Mexico City Aztecs. 9, the Alaska Storm. And 8, the Sioux Falls Sparrows. That brings us to the top 7. So, who do you feel will be in the 7th slot at this point? In the 7th slot? Whoa, whoa. You know what? I'm going to take a wild guess on this one, too. The Las Vegas Rodney Dangerfields. The Las Vegas Gamblers, baby, because they get no respect. And I do want to throw this out before I mention who it is. The eighth seed Sioux Falls Sparrows had 132 points. Now the next team is seven, which is the bottom of the top seven. Where Sioux Falls was the was the top of the bottom seven. So listen to the gap difference: 132 for the eighth seed. Number seven has 174, 42 points. That's a mm-hmm. lot of points based on how we do the point system. So the number seven seed with 174 points. Amazingly enough, they have the last ranked, 14th ranked overall offense and the 11th overall defense. And they are the 2-1 and one Las Vegas Gamblers. You know, you know what they got on that team? They have Hart and they have Big Rick. Big Rick is a problem. <laughs> I told him, I'm going to say it all season. Big Rick is a problem. If you're not ready for Big Rick, he'll wreck the offensive game plan. That's all I'm saying. And I just want to say this about the gamblers. I'm going to say this right here, right now, because I'm ignoring that ranking. I'm ignoring those stats of 14th offense and 11th defense. It has to be ignored. Now, of course, somebody's going to say, why have we got to ignore that? And it's part of the situation for that team. Here's what I want to put out there. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. This team went out there and upset the Sharks in week one. They get off the freaking snide right away and go up 1-0. Week 2, they blow an incredible lead, and I'm sure they're still wondering how that happened. So Houston is lucky to have that victory. And I, the mom might get mad at me, but it's not a victory that was earned. It was a luck victory. And you know the old saying, though, you'd rather be lucky than good. So there you go. I'm, Houston. Mm-hmm. I'm Houston. I don't give a damn how we got there. We got there. And last week, you got the Oklahoma City Renegades, 
we've already covered, who we have already covered, and they are the fourth offense and the fourth defense. And yet the Vegas gamblers found a way to win. They found a way to win. And this is the thing. Look at their game. Okay, they are in the most funkiest games known to man. They get that that crazy interception to beat the Sharks, blow the big lead with Houston, and then last week with the Renegades, you got that crazy snap out of nowhere, the, the fumble, and as a result, they try to kick it. Uh, Coma Kaleko was able to return a touchdown. The the touch bump pass off the back for Lorenzo Allen in the end zone. Uh, then OKC storms back with two more scores with Bruce Gimbovine at the end. Um, they can't get the uh, two-point conversion to be down by three. They're able to get the onside kick. They get outgained by almost 220, 30 yards. This is a team from Vegas. They're the gamblers. They apparently have lady luck on their side, which is so fitting because that's what you need when you go to Vegas. Uh, I, I, I can't figure out this team for the life of me what's going on there, but they have had to have three of the wildest games this league has seen all season, and they should be 3-0. and They should be 3-0, and but they're 2-1, and and they have another good game coming up for them this week because uh, they will be at home against Queen City. So we'll get into that soon. But uh, I just have to throw out kudos to Mario Savage, Ronnie Nickens, that whole franchise. The jury's still out. We all know this. The jury's still out. But if they can come away from this game and get to 3-1, and one, we might have to have our eyes open a little bit more and stop saying the jury's out. So, But we will move on, unless you have something to say about them. No, just, just Big Rick. It just, <laughs> they make... I'll say this. They make games ugly. I love ugly games. So, they, you know, I watch their games all day long. They make games ugly and find the most ridiculous ways to score. And, you know, hey, at the end of the day, do what you got to do to win the game. That's all. That's, that, that's what football is about. You know, you could be pretty and throw for seven touchdowns. Or you could be, you could grind the game out and score, you go score three on the ground. Or you could just stop the other team from scoring altogether and win the game two zip. Whichever way you got to do it, make it happen. As long as you have more points than the other team at the end of the game, that's all that matters. And kudos to Vegas. Keep doing what y'all doing. So they're the SFL's version of the mean machine from the longest yard. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> mean machine. Mean oh, machine. Okay. All right. Moving on. The sixth seed. Who you got? At, at, at number six, I have the Atlanta Swarm. The sixth seed has 193 points, 19 more than the Gamblers. They have the third offense, the number one defense. They climbed a spot from last week, and it's the Houston Hyenas. Wow, the Hyenas. They're on the uptick. The Hyenas. Let's do it. Hyenas. That's two in a row. Hmm? No, I said swarm, AJ. Swarm. Swarm. Like a sword. <laughs> Stop. Don't. Anyways, there'll be a drinking game Sunday night. I won't be involved in it. I'll just say. So, yes, the, the hyenas are on the uptick after that comeback that they allowed um, week one against Mexico City. They've done one two in a row. It looks like, you know, they got a little something going on over there. Deontay had himself a nice little game. 
Hawkins turned out another 100 yards on the ground. You know, the quarterback stayed clean for the most part. Um, you know, let's see if Houston can, you know, continue to reel off some ball games, especially when they got a tough one coming up this week. Tough one coming up this week. So. Now we're getting to the top five. Getting to the top five. The fifth team in the power rankings. Who do you think? Number five. Wow. Then let's try it one more time. We'll go with the Atlanta Swarm. The fifth seed had 203 power points, which was 10 more than Houston. They have the 10th offense. They have the 12th defense. And they are the two and one. Did not move up or down from last week. And Baltimore Crabs. Wow. No love for Bmo, I guess. Wow. Well, well TJ, TJ is who TJ is, and he'll keep. You know, he's on the he's on the way to steadying that ship, and we're we're beginning to see what they are about. So it's going to be interesting to see in this 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 massive tilt we got Monday night. That's going to be called by Andy. About who, which, which, which behemoth, which juggernaut will pull this one out. So, okay. All right. Okay. That gets us to an even better part of the power rankings. And now we are getting into the part that we all like to hear, and that's the top three, four teams. So, the fourth seed, who do you think it is? I'll go with. With Mr. SOB himself, the Dallas Roughnecks. In the fourth spot, 210 points, seven more points than Baltimore. This team has the number one ranked offense in the league and the number five defense. Up two from last week, the two and one Atlanta Swarm. When I don't pick them, that's when you call them. That's not how the game for the work, though. Um, Kudos to Chizzy and the rest of the squad. Taco, I see your offense, you know, you know, causing big plays and headaches everywhere. Uh, let's see if they can keep it up. Indeed. All right, moving along. Number three. Number three, I, I guess if they weren't four, they'll be three. Number three, we'll call it the Dallas Roughnecks. Number three. 215 points, five more points than the Atlanta Swarm. This team has the fifth-ranked offense, the second-ranked defense, the two-and-one Dallas Roughnecks. Here we go. Mr. Mullinax and crew, Mac Wavy, you know, at the range. They got, they got a nice little tilt this weekend as well. So it's going. This, this weekend's slate of games is exquisite. It's scrumptious. I can't wait to... To gaze upon the myriad of games going on at the same time. It's going to be electric out there, I tell you. Um, number two. Yeah, it was two and one. What order are they? Um, Tallahassee one, LA two. Or is it LA one, Tallahassee two? Hmm. I'll, go, <laughs> I'll go with the Sharks at number two. Well, the second seed had 257 points, which was 42 points more than Dallas. They have the seventh offense, the seventh defense. They did not move up or down, and it is the 3-1 and one 
L.A. Sharks. And that, of course, means the number one seed. 280 points. They had all 20 first-place votes. No other team received a first-place vote. They have the number two offense, the number six defense, and that is the 4-0 Tallahassee Pride. First off, I'd like to say, you know, kudos to you and Cal. Yeah, 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 I have seemed to found some, find something because y'all defense is a stick. Um, like, yeah, 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 that, that defense is uh, causing issues right now. And because of that, your offense is able to kind of find itself throughout the game and you're never having to press, so to speak. So that's a good thing for Matt South. As you he, mentioned you our know, defense. You mentioned our defense. I have to pull Demon Simeon. Uh, I know last week. Uh, I did miss the game. I got to watch it back because I had to head to work. He was upset with all the yardage the hachinas were giving up there at the end because it was garbage time. They were winning, so they were giving up yards. I personally hate that too. Uh, as a result, you know, we we fall down in the rankings each week. As a result, we went from the third or fourth ranked defense last week to number seven or what have you, because of garbage time, yards that keep happening week after week after week. But I was put in check by some people, and that was, who gives a damn about the yards? You guys have other numbers that are impressive. So uh, I want to give the spotlight to Kyle for just a minute and just be very grateful for what he's done for me. Um, The Sharks, we allow 12.5 points a game which I think is absolutely freaking ridiculous. And Kyle Walsh's defense has not allowed a touchdown to a star player. Now, granted, Carolina did get a touchdown last week, which was a non-star. But I'm talking to a star player since the third quarter of week two, and that was to Pete Bruschi. And the defense has not given up a touchdown pass of any kind since the second quarter of week two. Now, can we keep that streak alive again this week against St. Louis? My gut honestly tells me no, because for some reason St. Louis finds ways to score. They just don't know how to find a way to stop anybody. But uh, I just wanted to give those couple mentions to Kyle, because uh, with what Kyle's going through on his personal level, the fact that he still has enough time to focus and pay attention and do his due diligence to make this defense effective, I think it deserves great praise. Yes, it does. Good, good work, good work, Kyle, and uh, good work to Doug uh, for for recruiting them. And then uh, the number one squad with the bullet, uh, they they don't seem to want to lose. Um, the Tallahassee Pride, led by you know Frank Gooden. Frank Gooden, offense city boy, <laughs> and an offense designed by T Pat. The boy Frank, <laughs> he's so pretty. Uh, oh, goodness. Oh, man. Uh, well, these records and these power rankings and the talk of, oh, we have a tougher schedule than you and we have a tougher this and yours is weak, it got me thinking while I was laying up in the bed, not able to do anything. Uh, I wanted to get my hands on a computer, which I did. Got me a pen and a pad, and I jotted down some information. And I'm going to share that with everybody here on Inside the SFL because I find it to be very interesting. Um, AJ 
Mark Chisholm, Corky, uh, Ronnie Mickens. I'm not quite sure who guests four and eight are. Uh, did say, let me know, and I didn't see a response from either one of these guys. But uh, for those of you who are in the chat, if you could chime in on the chat with your guest four is guest four is TJ. If that's what you need to know, guest four is TJ. Yeah. I need all you guys, if you don't mind, to chime in with your thoughts when I give you this information. Because I just find it to be interesting stuff, and that's something I like to try and do here on Inside the SFL, and that's drop interesting things once in a while. So uh, I decided to look at each team's current schedule that they've played and how the strength of schedule is. Um, I find it to be interesting, to say the least. Who is the number one team in the Eastern Conference? Who's in first place? That that would be the Tallahassee Pride, sir. Who is in first place in the West? That would be the Los Angeles Sharks, sir. And what do those two teams have in common? Um, that's uh, I don't know. You you stumped me, sir. They both play football. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Okay, okay that, can't say no to that one. Uh, but these two teams happen to have the current weakest strength of schedule within their own divisions, and they're in first place. Does that have anything to do with it? And I'll get into further details. The Sharks opponents they played so far this season are a combined five and nine which is a winning percentage of 35.7, which is the weakest within their division. And the Pride's opponents are a combined 3 and 11, which is a 21.4%. So my question is, does this have anything to do with the team's success in each division? Or does it have nothing to do with it? Or is it a combination of the two? Uh, Or nothing at all? I just find that to be very interesting, to say the least. I think it's a, you know, it's a hand in hand. I mean, as they're winning, of course, the teams they're going to be playing are losing, and that will cause the teams to have a worse record than, you know, and let's say a crown apart team who's, you know. Um, vacillating between wins and losses each and every, you know, every other game. So that's kind of what's going on there a little bit. You know, how, you know, if you reverse your record from three and one to one and three, what does that do for the win loss record of your opponent? It increases it because now they have the win. You know, so on and so forth. You get what I'm saying? Okay. Well, let's look at the flip side of this. Who is the last place team in the East? In the East, well, if you go by record, is the is the Skyhawks. If you go by power ranking, is the Gladiators. You gotta go by record. It's the Skyhawks, zero and four. Who's the last place team in the West? The Mexico City Aztecs. What do those two teams have in common? They probably have the hardest schedules in their respective conferences. That would be correct. Those two teams have the toughest schedule within their own respective conference division. Um, and the Aztecs' opponents are a combined 10-4, and four, which is a winning percentage of 71.4%, while the Skyhawks' opponents are 11-4, and four, which is a 
teams that are in first place have had the weakest schedules, and the two teams that are in last place have had the toughest schedules within the division. So uh, I'll just throw these numbers out real quick so everybody knows, and I'll do it uh, in order, weakest to toughest. Uh, starting with the East, Pride's you know, 3-11 record, 21.4%. The next weakest schedule belongs to the Sioux Falls Sparrows, who opponents are 5-9, and 35.7%. And then there's a tie at the 3-4 spot. Both teams have a 4-7 and seven opponent record at 36.3%, and that is the Queen City Corsairs and the Baltimore Crabs. At number 5 is the Atlanta Swarm. Their opponents are 6-5, and five, which is a 54.5%. And the 6th slot is the Gladiators, whose opponents are 7-5, and five, which is a 58.3%. And then the Skyhawks are in seventh, like I said, 11-4, Before I get to the West, I found it interesting that the two bottom teams do have the sixth and seventh toughest schedules, or the first and second, rather. Uh, so their opponents have been very tough. They have the two hardest schedules, and they're the two teams suffering. So it might shine a little light on the situation and why those teams are suffering so much. All right, moving over to the West. Easiest schedule belongs to the Sharks. Opponents are 5-9, and 35.7%. Second easiest schedule belongs to the Roughnecks. Their opponents are a combined 4-7, and 36.3%. Then it's the Houston Hachinas at third slot. Their opponents are 4-6, and six, which is 40%. The Alaska Storm are fourth. Their opponents are a combined 8-7, and seven, 53.3%. Then you have the Las Vegas Gamblers. Their opponents are 6-4, and four, which is 60%. And then the same thing happens in the West that happens in the East. The two toughest schedules, those two teams are 6th and 7th in the division. As the OKC Renegades are a combined 7-3, and three, 70%. And the Aztecs, as I mentioned, 10-4, and 71.4%. So, like I said, I just wanted to put those numbers together and give it a give it a quick look and I just found it very interesting so when you look at the team's current standing and current toughest strength of schedule the team that is doing the best based on strength of schedule and current position to give kudos to would be the Atlanta Swarm they have the third hardest schedule within their division and they're sitting in second place and that's the highest of any team with a tougher schedule. So they have the toughest schedule of anybody who's who's doing well. So kudos to them. And then the Gamblers, you know, they're also two and one, but they're underneath the Roughnecks and the Hyenas and the Sharks at this point. But that's two two and one teams that are playing very tough schedules as of now. Thoughts on that bit of information? No, it's, 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 like I said, it's, it's good info, um, and it kind of does shed a little light as to why certain teams are where they are, and excuse me, as to you know, so you know, if a team, so the the win loss record kind of doesn't paint the whole picture, but when you attach that win percentage of opponents. To the record, you'd be like, ah, okay, well, that explains why they're in the plight that they're currently in. So it's it's, it's good stuff and good research there. Uh, so everybody knows I posted the image for the power rankings in the power rankings channel. 
so you guys can give that a look. That's what you have it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, you take a look at Carolina. They're 0 and 4, and the Gladiators who are 0 and 3. These are the records of their opponents for the Gladiators: 4 and 0, 2 and 1, and 1 and 2. Half the opponents are 2 and 2, 4 and 0, 2 and 1, and 3 and 1. Yeah, that that, that that yeah that that could explain why they find themselves in the situation they're in right now. What are you doing over there? I am trying to plug my headpiece in because it just started. <laughs> All right. Well, the chat's kind of died at the moment. No one's commenting on this, so we're gonna move on, and we might as well get into week five. Because that's where we are headed. Yes, sir. And without further ado, or further can do, come here. Something like that. Which okay. game do you want to start with first? We'll go in order. Where they are listed on the simulation. Ball League website, and we'll go with the the Sharks are traveling to St. Louis to take on the currently winless Gladiators. Um, give me a brief synopsis of what you not you know really what you prepared for, but what your mindset was coming was coming into this game. Well, I could have came into this game with the arrogant, cocky attitude of "Oh, this is a bye week," but I didn't have that attitude. Because I have much respect for Mr. Crazy Ace, which is Mr. Freeman up here. Um, I'm a big fan of Colin Northrup. I just love that kid to death. And uh, I talk to Jimmy Cash often. And every time I talk to him, I sit there and say, this kid can't be 14. Uh, and that's something I'm going to make sure you guys remember. He's 14. The kid is 14. Um they're struggling. They've they've let three teams in a row drop 50 or more points on them. Um, their offense is starting to get better each week. Uh, I see promise with the defense each week. It seems like as soon as it looks like, oh, they're going to get it, they just seem to like fall apart. Uh, and that's where the AI adjustments come in because the AI is not stupid in this game. It's one of the most incredible things about this video game that we use. So, uh, I couldn't take this game light. I had to literally study this game. I ran a few sims using the cross-conference file. Um, the one game, I was nervous because in the one sim they were getting me. I was like, uh, I can't have this. <laughs> but uh, I'm very confident heading into this game. I don't want to be that team that allows them to get that first victory after the way they've been getting beat, especially when this season, the Sharks hopefully are for real. Uh, we have we have things we need to improve on. Uh, we need to get our offense clicking a little bit more. Although I was told today to shut up about that when I was talking to somebody about it, and he started pointing out a lot of facts about my team. It opened my eyes to some things, but I'm never satisfied. I'm greedy. So, um, but uh. If I had to be unbiased and, and be an honest, you know, 
journalist, if you will. There's no way I'm not picking anybody but the Sharks to win this game. And you would expect the Sharks to win this game big um, based on what's been going on with both teams on the field. Defer to you. Okay. Um, I'll say this about the Gladiators. In every contest they've played, they have uh, exceeded the amount of points they scored. So, you know, first week they scored 13 in a route. Second week they scored 20 in a route. This past week they scored 23 in a route. Um, So they are finding a way to score something. They're just struggling stopping the opposing team. I'll say this. That stand out to me is they got to start scoring them earlier before it gets into garbage time. They're scoring, but they got to score more before garbage time. Yeah. No, I I, I, I fully agree there. What I will say, though, is that um, hopefully, you know, I don't know if the coaches see what's happening on the defensive side to kind of remove or, you know, stem the the, 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 the bleeding, so to speak, uh, and are able to keep the game closer. Because right now they're in a spot where the games are getting out of hand so early that they are forced to do things that they'd rather not do. And I don't know if this is the week where they'll be able to do that now because especially running into that Kyle Walsh defense, that's going to be an issue for Jalen Thomas, the wrestling boys. If if they can't get Parkey loose, and we and we know how tough it is to get any running back loose against the Sharks, if they can't get Parkey loose, um, that could spell doom for that offense quickly. Um, saying all that, I like the Sharks coming into this week, but I'm just saying if if this is the week where they finally figured out the defense and how to, you know, have those those three star linemen take over a game, um, this is going to be they might this might be a low scoring affair in the fourth quarter if they're able to find a way to finally unleash those guys and you know have those guys be on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, I like the Sharks. I like the Sharks. I don't know if this is the week that they'll be able to fully get there. Now, they might have, you know, a quarter, you know, a quarter and a half where you're like, wow, okay, that's how the D-line and that defense is supposed to look. But then, you know, um, having not done all that research to, you know, know what to leave in and know what to take out, you'll see a few plays here and there where they're not as dominant as they, they should be, and that's where L.A. will take advantage of those mistakes and, you know, pull out like a 10 14-point victory. And I'll throw these numbers, small little things. This is the number two team in the power rankings traveling to the 14th team in the power rankings. And based on the current who you got, the Sharks are favored uh, 47 votes to six. So I thought I'd put that out there. So, so, the, you, so what you're telling me is that they're safe money. Is that, is that what you're saying? That's what Vegas would say. <laughs> but like I said, you look at 
reality would say they'd probably be an eight or nine point favorite. Fair enough. In the next matchup, we have the Carolina Skyhawks traveling to Oklahoma City to take on the Renegades. Um, what you got, Doug? Got the 13th seed in the power rankings, traveling to the number 12. Uh, before I did the breaking down of things, I was sitting there thinking, okay, C's been struggling offensively. Well, could I have been any more wrong? I mean, they are the fourth best offense, the fourth best defense. Carolina's 8 and 10 in those respective categories. Both teams have lost close games. Uh, but the Renegades have gotten themselves a victory this year, something Carolina is trying to find. Like you mentioned, they got to get over the hump. It seems like Carolina is so loose to, used to losing, they play to lose anymore. And it, it's just like that's not what they're doing, but it just feels that way. Uh, this is as good as week of any for them to get a victory. Uh, because let's face it, while they get a lot of yards, Carolina doesn't put up a – I'm sorry, uh, OKC doesn't put up a lot of yards or points. They get the yards, they don't get the points. That's how I'm saying that. Gee, I got that all confused. So I'm going to repeat that. Carolina has a good chance as any to win this week because OKC doesn't put up a lot of points despite putting up a lot of yards. That's how I want to word that. Um, they got to get Brewski going. Um, as you saw last week, the Carolina rush defense, which came in number one in the league, uh, kind of got exposed. They get Brewski this week. Brewski is just as good as any to rip that rush defense apart. They need to get him involved. Um, I'm very curious as to how Carolina is going to slow down the weapons. I mean, Bovine's finally showing up. Remy Piper is a threat, and Caleb Hamby is one of the most underrated players in the league. And that is pretty much their go-to guy anymore. So that's three, four weapons right there that I just mentioned. So Carolina, they have to be all over the place. If they can play like they did in the first half last week against the Sharks, they'll win this game. And not only win it, I think they can win it very decisive. Uh, OKC, they have to stop Johnny English. It's that simple. Um, if I'm Carolina, I'm not running the ball as much with English as I have been. If you go look at the uh, Dak stats, that's right, Dak stats plug, you will see Johnny English has run the ball more than any other running back in the league. They're leaning on him, and they're leaning on him heavy. So when you run up against these teams that have solid defensive coordinators, they're able to adjust to that and shut him down. Case in point, last week with the Sharks, that's was Kyle Walsh's number one goal: stop Johnny English, and we're willing to let you throw on us because we know your playbook's based on Johnny English. Um, based on who you got, Carolina is down 28 to 24. As OKC is the favorite. And I disagree. I'm actually picking Carolina to get off the schneid in this game. Hmm, interesting. Um, OKC finally got Bovine involved last week. Uh, remember, remember, we had a case of the missing Bovine. Um, <laughs> no, we're not. Th- we're not. Th- we're not talking about cows. Um, um, 
hired an artist uh, to draw a picture like Where's Waldo, but I was going to put Bovine on it. He was on the back of the milk carton, Where's Bovine, and they finally found him last week, and um, that's what, and, and, and he's, um, so are they able to, because the reason why I'm saying this is because if Bovine is in the factor, and they're relying on, they're relying on Hamby and Brewski to win the game, I can't see that happening. Especially with that secondary Carolina Carolina has and the way Shang got them boys playing back there. If you think you're just going to sit back there and just pitching and catching on the outside, testing those corners and test, testing a little mold down the middle, uh, you got nothing coming. Now, with Bovine being the X factor um, and Oklahoma City finally being able to, you know, locate him on the field, you know, Rick Feather is able to connect with him. Um, hopefully this is a thing, this is a sign of, of uh, things to come. And if that is the case, I like OKC, you know, by keeping Bovine involved in the Carolina defense back where now Brewski can do his thing underneath because they're having to protect the deep with four as opposed to just, you know, staying back and cover three or cover one and just uh, uh, stop the run with the, for the with your eight. Um, if Bovine's not a factor, Carolina wins the game. But I believe OKC finally found a way to get him the ball on a regular basis. And I can see OKC pulling this one out by a field goal late. Fair enough. In the next matchup, <laughs> we have the Sioux Falls Sparrows going into the dome taking on the Dallas Roughnecks that are coming off a buy off that boat. Remember that picture with the boat, the, the Mac boat? Was that the dot dot, right? They owned the dot dot last weekend because they were just chilling watching SFL action. Um, yeah. So Fred, 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 I want to petition Fred, to ban the dot dot statement. It's annoying. <laughs> so, so fresh off the bye week, they're having to face the Dallas Roughnecks. So um, who you got, Doug? You got Sioux Falls or you got Dallas? I went back and forth on this game over and over and over and over again. Uh, both teams give up 20, 22 points a game. That's what they allow defensively. Uh, when it comes to the total defense, they're second and third in the league, separated by less than seven freaking yards. Look at the rush defense in the league. Dallas is a little better, 83rd. Sioux Falls is all the way down with 130 lab, and that means they're second and 12th in the league. But the rushing defense from Dallas probably won't be needed in this game because, you know, this is Sioux Falls. They're not going to run the ball. It's the pass defense. That's the issue. What does Dallas love to do? Throw the football. Sioux Falls happens to have the number two pass defense in the league. Dallas is number five. They're separated by 41 yards. Like, huh, that's an interesting stat, something I needed to really look into. So I was like, how bad is the pass efficiency?
Uh, Dallas has 10 sacks on the year. Sioux Falls only has four. So every time I think one team's got the advantage over the other, I find another stat that's like, huh. So, like, maybe go all the way to third down conversions, which Dallas is seventh in the league, 50%. 50% of the time they give up a third down conversion. But Sioux Falls gives up a conversion 57% of the time. I mean, I just kept breaking these things down and breaking these things down. Um, but fourth down stood out. So Sioux Falls has allowed a first down three out of four times when the offense has gone for it. And Dallas has only had one time attempted on them, and they, they stopped it. So I was like, well, maybe this game will be about the offense. Maybe this game will really – now – Real quick answer, which team is built to score? Is it Sioux Falls or is it Dallas? Uh, Dallas. I mean, with one receiver. But Dallas is built to score, not Sioux Falls. And Sioux Falls is averaging 29 points a game, while Dallas is only averaging 25. I found that to be a very interesting stat. Now, Dallas has the more effective offense for 401 yards, Sioux Falls 365, but I thought about it and I was like, man, scores more. So, you know, you look at the passing offense, they're number two and number three in the league, separated by 2.7 yards passing. 2.7 yards passing. Just some interesting, interesting numbers. So, on paper, for the most part, you want to say Dallas over Sioux Falls. But when you start looking at uh, really, really breaking down the so-called numbers on paper, you start leaning towards Sioux Falls. So the thing that stood out to me was Dallas is a monster defense against the run. Sioux Falls is not going to run the ball. They'll hand the ball off, what, five times the entire game maybe? As a result, they're going to throw, throw, and throw. They're going to test that secondary. And Dallas loves to do nothing but throw. And Sioux Falls has an extraordinary overall good defense, nine-star players. If Dallas wants to win this game, they no, dear. they're not just yeah. throwing. they got to make sure they're throwing, they're running, and have a mixture and they're doing pretty much the same thing Sioux Falls is, but not quite as to that level, and that's just throwing the football. And I cannot see a Jason McGee-led team losing back-to-back games. So I'm taking the Sparrows to win this one. Uh, this is the question I have. AJ can answer if he feels like it, or he can just let us find out something. Will Sioux Falls match up the four wide that Dallas puts on the field, or will they remain in the three three five to make sure that all their stars are on the field to defend against those receivers? Why am I asking, why am I asking that question? Dallas lines up with four and sometimes five every down. They do not they don't believe in the tight end. They don't know who that is. Oh that's 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 the guy that gives us Gatorade during timeout. Yeah that's the, that's what tight end is today. He just just some big out in the sideline. They think he's a lineman, I think. Um, in the off season, when I told you how Dallas' team built, and I was like, whoa, 
Dallas reminds me so much of a team. It's scary. And you're like, what team was that? He's like, the Colts. He's like, I don't see it. Well, they have a gold quarterback. They have a gold receiver. And they have a gold defensive end. And they're like, okay. I can see that now a little bit. Well, why am I bringing this up? In this game, in the dome, where it looks like points and the ball is going to be in the air a lot. Let me not say points. I'll say the ball is going to be in the air a lot because neither team really runs the ball that much. Um, the difference here is whose defensive line can pressure and affect the passer on a, I see you, no comment, on a regular basis. And having faced both squads, I faced Dallas in week two, and where Tika Bell, basically uh, him and the rest of those uh, defensive linemen own the second half. I think Mike Wavy's still feeling hit. We're almost a month removed from the game. And I fa- and we and the storm faced Sioux Falls last week where their defensive end wasn't a- as much of an issue to have to protect. Mock, and that's where Mock was able to take his time and pick his spots and spread the ball around. So if Sioux Falls is caught in a spot where they have to throw the ball a lot, albeit for whatever reason, whether it's down a distance or that's the game plan, and they're not factoring in the fact that Tika Bell can literally change the outcome of a game by himself if you're not careful, yeah, Dallas might just run away with this contest because of that factor. Because you know Steven could coach some deep. But if Sioux Falls factored into the game plan, you know what, they have a upper echelon lineman, which causes his teammates to play that much better because you're having a game plan for him. Let's, let, 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 let's put into the game plan a couple of plays to mitigate the pass rush and then it kind of evens it out where he can't just take over the game because as he's trying to run past the tackle to get at our quarterback, we're sneaking underneath with our new running back or or, or we're throwing a screen pass or we're throwing a little short pass to to let, you know, uh, to let Jordan Jennings do his thing on the outside. So that's where the chess match that I love in football comes in. That being said, Dallas is at home. Dallas has that goal defensive lineman and Sioux Falls is the pass heavy team. I don't like their chances this game. Because if they have to rely on, on uh, Julian Terry's golden arm to win this, with Tika Bell coming off his blind side, yeah, that, 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 that could go sour real quick. So, and... I won't say they have an aversion to running, but with her having a non-star running back back there and running out a gold middle linebacker, uh, not not a gold middle linebacker, a silver linebacker, and, um, and running out a silver middle linebacker, I don't know if that running back could get away from him on a regular basis enough to move the chain for the offense to be both on time and prolific enough to score more than Dallas can. So, for this one, I like Dallas. I like Dallas because, yeah, because of the way they're built, and especially for this. They're built for games like this. They're built for, oh, you want to come in, come in and throw the ball 50 times a game? We got Tiki Bell for that. So, they, this, this, 
who you got? The the league is telling us that Dallas is going to win thirty to twenty one in the votes, so it's close. Um, but I want to throw this out. The you mentioned Tika Bell being the gold defensive lineman. Uh, the thing that stood out to me was the fact that both Dallas's corners are bronze, and they're going up against the gold and silver receivers. Uh, Sioux Falls. I'm expecting whether it be Miller or Jordan Jennings to to get the advantage, and they love to throw the ball around. They being Dallas, where Sioux Falls they got two silver corners in Okoye and Osika. Uh, A.J. Levy is also a silver free safety, and Jay Jefferson is a gold. Then you add in Michael Spurgeon, who's also a free safety, and he's bronze. So the fact is they have five guys that are star players in the secondary, and whilst Michael Spurgeon is the quote-unquote bronze, he is, is carrying three abilities on him, which makes him nowhere near weak. So I just like their opportunity to, to match up. Now, of course, Dallas offensively, you got to worry about the fact that Concord's a gold and Escobar and Reed are silvers. Oh, and don't forget Robert Dobbs, who's also the bronze. So, I mean, it makes that a little interesting. I just think Sioux Falls has enough in the secondary to slow them down. And I think you could agree with this. And this is where Dallas gets the advantage and would make me look like an idiot since I took Sioux Falls, but I'm going to throw it out there because I believe it could be a factor. And it could come down to which team can actually run the ball a little more than the other. And we know Dallas is carrying a silver running back. But despite carrying that silver running back, they have been highly ineffective all season running the football. Now, is that by choice? It very well could be. Um I think they have 137. Yeah, they have 137 rushing yards all year. 137. I'll say that one more time. 137 rushing yards. Sioux Falls has 50. But Sioux Falls has more rushing touchdowns than Dallas. And both these teams are around the 3.4 average for Dallas and a 1.4 average for Sioux Falls. Clearly near the bottom of the league for both teams. Um so, yeah, I mean, it, it, this could come down to, to the running game. Who wants to run the ball more? And we know Sioux Falls is not going to do that. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Freddie Fox is gone. He's no longer in Sioux Falls. He's gone. And that Malcolm McDaniels, I think it's the fourth. Uh, if I saw the wire ticker earlier this week, has taken over the running duties in Sioux Falls. So... We'll see. We'll see what the Sparrows do. Uh, but clearly, we can make a case for either team to win. Clearly, we can make a case why either team would lose. It's one of the more interesting matchups I feel for the week. Um, but I'm going Sioux Falls. You're going Dallas. And either way, this is a game everybody needs to pay attention to and watch. Everybody, yes, I, I agree that everybody needs to watch that game. But you um, and I will be on the but, same page. I think you and I will be on the same page. Go Sparrows. Because we need Dallas to lose. <laughs> Hold up, don't you have later in the year? You can take care of your own business. Exactly. <laughs> and that being said, the next matchup we have the Queen City Corsairs at the Las Vegas Gamblers. We like that. This game. How interesting is this game? 
Uh, I don't even know where to go with this game. I mean, you've got the three, the three big defensive linemen for Queen City. Uh, Koa Kaleo, I believe that's his name. Ja, Jimmy Ritchie, and the big dog Ed Ritter for Queen City. Then when you go look at Vegas, they got the one man that you love to keep saying, Big Rick. Big Rick. Rick. Big Rick. Uh, um, and one thing people don't seem to remember, and I remember it, Vegas has more than Rick O'Reilly on that defensive line. They also have defensive end Sean Smith, who's a silver. That is correct. Uh, so this is a game where there's five star defensive linemen that are involved. This is a game, I love it. This is a game where two, and, and this is where they have these teams have very similar builds for the most part in the gold categories. They both got gold quarterbacks. They both got gold uh, tailbacks, and they both have a gold defensive lineman. Queen City's got the end, and Vegas has the defensive tackle. And then what we got interesting was Queen City, uh, with their silver tier, they have two linebackers, the strong safety and Shayatovich at wide receiver, where the gambler said, we're going to gamble. We're going to invest our silvers to the secondary. And they ended up going with Lucia Sanders, Aaron Tolbert, Koma Kaleka, as well as the defensive end, Sean Smith. So that means the Las Vegas Gamblers have five players between gold and silver invested in the defense, but their two offensive players are both at gold and both are carrying four abilities in Mario Savage and David Overstreet, which I think is a gamble, but thus far has seemed to, for the most part, paid off. Um, I don't like how Queen City's carrying them three receivers. I honestly think that it's been a problem for them. I would have rather them carried another linebacker maybe or maybe even used a kicker or something. Maybe who knows what. Um, Vegas. Caesar can move back to, to tight end. Um, for the most part, you know, you wouldn't even know Caesar Cannon plays for them is, is the way I look at it because he's, for the most part, been non-existent, and that's not like it's a bad thing. Uh, it could be a very good thing. I think he has six catches for 55 yards. Uh, same thing with Lorenzo Allen. I think he only has eight catches, but Flynn Starbuck, he's been doing his thing. And Overstreet, I don't know if you can believe this or not, but Overstreet is only carrying a 3.0 average as of right now. That is amazing when you realize this team is 2-1. and one. Now, Queen City, on the other hand, they got the number two rusher in the league in Marcus allen Bose. Um Caswell needs to protect the football. That's clear. That's obvious. DJ McCoo and Espen Real, I love what these two guys have been doing all season. Uh, but I sit here and I look at the votes. It's 31-21 to 21 on who you got in favor of Vegas. Favor of Vegas. My vote is for Vegas. I have taken Vegas. I have picked Vegas. Because I'm going to say this right here on Inside the SFL. Mario Savage, I think, is a better defensive coordinator than he is offensive coordinator. The defense, for that, to me, has looked good, and I think the defensive numbers as a whole aren't as good as they really are. Like I said, they're 11th in defense, but I think that's because of the lack of the offense. But if you watch the Vegas games, they've been improving. You know, the stats might not say it. Uh, the full numbers might not be there, but I think he realized what he did in week one. Despite a win against the Sharks, he realized the offense wasn't there, and he's begun to tweak that offense a little by little. 
and Over Street's starting to look like Over Street again. Uh, this is just another week, another chance for more changes, and I wouldn't doubt if that kid pulled out 20 plays and added 20 new plays for Queen City just to fix that offensive playbook. And I think once the offensive playbook in Vegas gets corrected, the defense looks even better because they've been solid. And unfortunately for you and me, since we're in the West, the Gamblers become a serious contender, and I think it can start this week. So I, I like I said, I'm picking the Gamblers to win this game. Big Rick is a problem. <laughs> he's a he's a problem. Big Rick's a problem. Um, in the next matchup, I'll I'll I'll, I'll delve more into why. Big Rick's a problem. You'll get it when I get to it. But Big Rick's a problem. And with, you know, Mario is still trying to find his way offensively. Um, you know, it's good that Big Rick's a problem because that, you know, while he's trying to get, kind of get his sea legs under him, um, that Big Rick allows the defense to kind of get find, you know, find their way and keep the game ugly and the opposing team not being able to move the ball the way they want. You know, I get a big... A big play here or there, but nothing consistently where they were, you know, in seven yards at a time, you know, to put a drive together to get a score. You know, if you're going to score in Vegas, you're going to score one play. Um, you're not, you know, one or two plays. You're not scoring if you're putting together 12 play drives because, you know, a couple of those plays, big rigs coming free and, and uh, you come back on wet his pants. So, um, now, mind you, this is a game that features only one star corner. This this is crazy. <laughs> like I no, no, just no. Um, so so which yeah. So which quarterback will have enough time to be able to find his receiver behind those corners? That's the question of the game, and because Vegas has Big Rick. And they also have less holes. I guess you could call it a hole. Because I'm sorry, a, a non-star corner, I just might as well not have a defender there. Um, because they have one less side of the field to worry about, where they're able to shade coverage to a specific way. So if they got to help the non-star out, they can without exposing the opposing side, the opposing side of the field. I like Vegas. Now, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be by a lot. It's, you know, the fi- I can see the final score being something like 19-17 or, you know, 19-14. It's just an ugly score. But Vegas just outlasting Queen City because of Big Rick. Now, you're saying to yourself, wait, Queen City has three defensive linemen of their own. Yes, they do. The difference is they don't have the one lineman that could directly affect the the quarterback on a regular basis is the one that has the straightest line to him and the shortest line to him. And because Vegas has big Rick, they invested into that goal DT, you'll see the difference if you watch the game, that, as opposed to the silver one. That goal defensive tackles is the issue. I know because in the next game, I'll explain it to you all when I, have, when I have to break down what I had to see on tape with Ludacris. So I like Queen City there. I mean, I like Vegas in this game. Now, mind you, there's uh, there's one thing I will say about Queen City. 
in this matchup before I got to stop. Vegas' run defense is porous, to say the least. If Queen City remains, can I use the word calm? No. We'll use, we'll use balanced. If Queen City remains balanced and keep feeding Mr. Marcus Allen both, they could, we, they, they could eat this out. Especially since A.J. Caswell has not looked like a goal quarterback this, this season at all. I mean, not to me. I don't know what a goal quarterback looks to you, Doug, but to me, he has not looked like a goal quarterback. So I, as long as if they remain balanced and A.J. doesn't have to win the game, just not lose it, they could walk out of Vegas with a win. But if A.J. Caswell got to drop back every down and they forget that Marcus Allen Moses is back there, I don't like their chances. Because Big Rick will be on top of him, or, or you know, because they play so much with Big Rick, another defensive lineman, they'll be on top of him, and it's, and then he'll start panicking and throwing interceptions. It's not going to be pretty. So, as bad as Vegas' numbers look offensively, they could, they must, they game up on purpose to keep it close, and then they eke it out at the end. So, I like Vegas because that's their style. In the Sunday Showcase, hashtag, hashtag drinking game. Get your shot glass ready, glasses ready, folks. So this one's gonna be a, this one's gonna be interesting to watch. Let me and listen to, and, and listen to. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me wait. Let me introduce the game, and you can jump in. We have the two expansion squads. Don't get them confused. We have the Alaska Storm. With a T, visiting the Atlanta Swarm with a W. I, who you like, Doug? Right, the Atlanta Storm versus the Alaska Swarm, right? Oh my goodness! Take a shot. Atlanta, Alaska versus Storm Swarm. No, I'm already confused. Nonetheless, we're gonna say this real simple. This game will have less points than it does Cameron Irvine mistakes. I can see I can see that. I can see that. But uh no in all honesty in all honesty I would not be shocked that Cam does not mess it up once. That would not shock me. It really wouldn't. Can can you remember can you remember being a kid and uh you'd be in your first play and you'd go home and you'd stand in front of the mirror and recite your lines. I believe Cam has been doing that since the game was announced. Like he, I think he keeps sitting in the mirror every time he uses the toilet. Alaska Storm, Atlanta Swarm. And he keeps reminding himself the actual name so he doesn't get it wrong. Um, but, yeah, it, it's not going to shock me if he makes absolutely no errors. But as for the game itself, as for the game itself, uh, we'll look at it this way. It's fun looking at this game. Uh, I have added interest in this game. Uh, some guys might not be thinking about it, but I have very interest in this game because Taco, who's baby brother, he is the offensive coordinator for Atlanta, and Stevie T. Diggs, who is one of my best friends, is the offensive coordinator for you. 
you're hosting this show with me. Um, have for a while now. Mark Chisholm is one of the owners I'm the most closest with in the league. Uh, so there's a lot of added interest for me in this game. I'm highly interested in this game. I'm going to enjoy this game. But to get to the honest breakdown of this game, let's let's get to this. Uh, the Swarm averaged 37 points a game. The Storm averaged 16.5. 16.5. Uh, one of the numbers that stand out to me, if you look at what each of teams have, each of these teams have done, uh, you might not have realized it, but the Storm have not gotten over 24 points yet. They have two victories. Both victories are 24 to 17. And in their two losses, it was 12 points and 6 points. Whereas with the Swarm, they've had 36 points in a victory, 56 points in a victory, and in their defeat, they still scored 20 points, which is four less points than Alaska's best. So that's something that stood out to me, or what have you. But uh, total offense, this is a big number that stands out to me. Alaska is 13th with 291.3. The Swarm are first with 467.7. So I was like, all right, maybe I should look into this a little deeper. Into the running game, you got Alaska, who's ninth in the league with 93.8 yards. Uh, Atlanta's fourth. With 145.3, they averaged 145.3 yards a game rushing. So I was like, all right, maybe passing can fall into Alaska's favor. They're 12th, 197.5, three touchdowns and five picks. Atlanta is fourth with 322.3 yards a game. They're the only team in the league that have a plus 10 average in passing, 10.6. They're the only team. The next closest is Tallahassee with 9.3. 12 touchdown passes, 5 interceptions. So clearly, all the numbers fall in Atlanta's favor offensively. So I was like, all right, let's dig deeper into the defense with scoring. You know, what, what do we do here? Well, Alaska only gives up 25.8, but Atlanta gives up 26. So they're both basically 26 points. You'll look at the total defense. Atlanta is fifth. Alaska is where? Eighth. So I was like, huh. Then I was like, maybe, just maybe, this is the game where you guys need to stop funk because that passing game has been ridiculous recently for Atlanta. Well, Atlanta's pass defense is seventh. And Alaska's, boom, fourth in the league, 243 yards. Now that I like. Now if Atlanta's going to lean on funk, they could be in trouble. So you got to see if they can get Hollywood going. Well, Alaska's ninth in the league against the rush. They give up 6.2 yards a carry. 6.2 yards a carry, which is the second worst in the league. Gladiators are worse with 8.1. So this is the 15th or the 13th worst rush uh, against average. And Hollywood is starting to come into his own. So, I mean, I can sit here and break down numbers for Funk and Hollywood and, and, and Ludacris on defense and Taco, who leads the team in tackles. I can sit here and talk about how Mock finally 
looks like a stud last week and showing up and he's getting better, or how Beakley just seems to not know how to get tackled by the first guy. And Bunkerson, to me, might be the best strong safety in the league this year as a whole playing defense. Uh, Dominguez, he's getting to the quarterback. Both teams are loaded with talent. Both teams are loaded with everything they need. But Atlanta has been more consistent. Atlanta's offense seems absolutely freaking ridiculous, which drives me insane because Taco cannot outdo me. Uh, so, for me, I have to take the Atlanta Swarm to win this game. Fair enough. Coming into this game, doing some homework, breaking down the build, and then actually putting it on the field. There are some things I noticed about Atlanta, some tendencies um, that we had to take into account and game plan for and against, so to speak. Now, I was telling my goal defensive tackles last game, uh, I mean last breakdown, because Atlanta got one of their own, Mr. Chris, first day Bluda. Um, he's a problem as well. He's an issue if you if you if you don't prepare properly for him. Um, and that being said, we believe that we've done our homework and and seeing that he has the shortest line to the quarterback and because of where he's positioned on the field, we had to make sure that he's accounted for on every down. And when we say accounted for, we don't mean just by one man. We mean by several. And we we believe that in preparing to uh, slow him down by mock time so he's comfy in the pocket to find his threats, uh, you know, everywhere on the field, we believe that he'll be able to do so. Now, when I say Chris won't be able to affect the game in some ways, some shape, somehow, because the, man, the man's a monster in his own right. We're saying that we hope to slow him down enough with the wrinkles and, and the game planning that we've done um, that we're able to, you know, sneak out of there with one more point than they have. And uh, defensively, um, when preparing to face Funk and that explosive offense that they have, um, there were some things that we saw as well and we were very weary. and. Um, we planned, I believe we did our, you know, we crossed our T's and dotted our I's on the game plan to, to kind of make him earn his keep, to give him nothing easy, um, and to kind of, you know, see if he's able to, for uh, 60 minutes, complete tough passes, uh, you know, throw it into tight windows regularly. And whether or not there's consistency, consistency there, because the the difference between tiers is one arrogance, two consistency. Now you're saying arrogance, yes, because higher tiered quarterbacks, especially, think they could do things, get away with things that lesser tiered quarterbacks can't. A goal quarterback sees a receiver triple coverage, he's like, I could get it in there, and he'll try it anyway. Several quarterback sees. That same receiver is like, ah, no, I'll throw to somebody else that's double covered. Thinks he get in there. A Browns quarterback 
he's only throwing to open receivers or, you know, he'll take a chance one-on-one. Now, mind you, his accuracy is not there. So if there's somebody in his lap, the ball might sail, and that's where a turnover might occur. But for the most part, <clears throat> they won't try anything funny. So if we keep the windows tight where receivers aren't running free all over the place and having to force them to make a decision as to where he wants to throw it, um, that's what we're banking on to see if he could do that for the entire game. And then, you know, may the best team and may the best prepared team win. Okay, <laughs> I thought you felt people on me there because I got a little long-winded. <laughs> oh, I'm good. That's what I said. There you go. Yeah, where we at? Okay, we're in that. The game. last, nowhere near the least, we have pupil, mentor, Houston Hyena. Visiting the Gateway team. You're like, Gateway team? Yes, the Baltimore Crabs. Like, how many owners and coaches have come from that franchise and that program? So we call them the Gateway team, the Baltimore Crabs. Who do you like, Doug? Well, I wanted to look at this game in as much detail as I possibly could. Uh, Houston's 2-1. and one. A lot of people will say they're lucky not to be one and two because of that Vegas game we talked about earlier. And mm-hmm. I think people would agree with that, including Demon and Corky. Uh, I believe they'll step up and say, yep, we're lucky. Um, we all know, based on the power rankings, Houston's three offensively. They're number one defensively. While the Crabs are having that ugly numbers of 10 offense and 12 defense. Uh, I was looking at the total yards these teams produced. Houston... 426 yards, and Baltimore's almost 100 last at 434.7. I was like, i got to find some kind of number that justifies why Baltimore is doing what they're doing, and it really it makes me go to the scoring defense. Houston gives up 28 points a game, which is good for 11th out of 14, and Baltimore's fifth. They give up 22.3 points a game, which I think is pretty impressive. So uh, you have to really dig, you have to really, really dig deep to figure out, you know, who's going to win this game. Uh, and one number I want to throw out is you got Houston's rush offense, which is only good for sixth, which to me is shocking because we all know Demond loves to pound the ball, and Baltimore's twelfth. And I'll give you a rushing that for Baltimore that not many people know. And let's see if you knew this. Did you know Baltimore is the only team in the SFL that does not have a rushing touchdown? They have zero. Did you were you aware of this? I think Mighty might have fell asleep on me. My bad, Doug. I didn't. I didn't realize I had. I had. I had the phone on mute. Yes, I was saying there's a new swing city. Yeah, they have zero rushing touchdowns. Zero, and it's not like it's. You know, they stand 49 attempts for 3.5 yard average, which isn't exactly great, but their rushing average 
is uh, better than, was it, five teams in the league. They have a better rushing average than five teams in this league. So uh, I find that interesting. Zero. Zero rushing touchdowns for the Baltimore Crabs. Very interesting stat. Whereas Houston, on the other hand, they have four rushing touchdowns. They're averaging 5.1 yards a carry, 131.3 yards a game. Baltimore needs to get that 56.7 average up, and that 3.5 average is bad. So, I mean, on paper, on paper they're kind of similar. They both got the gold running backs. They both got the gold linebackers. And I just said gold running back for Baltimore. And I'm going to ask you this honestly before I go further. Baltimore has implemented Swing City. They're barely running the football. To me, if you're going to go Swing City, you don't need a gold running back for that. I think they'd have been better suited making Robinson a silver, maybe even a bronze, if that's the offense they're going to run and invested that gold slot into something else. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm not. wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> But that's just something that stands out to me when I look at this team. I just don't understand a gold investment on a running back, and you're not pounding the rock. And we know Baltimore knows how to run the football. They were one of the more effective running teams since I've been around anyway with Dazzo. Uh, So do you feel that it's a waste of a gold star if you're not going to run the running back and you're just going to swing it? If they're going to continue to use Sanzo, Excuse me. In that fashion, then yes, I believe it's a waste. But I, I, I don't believe this is the case. Um, especially, you know, uh, being recently in that organization, I have uh, you know a little deeper, closer knowledge of how they like to use their talent, and just just know that. As the season wears on, Baltimore will slowly change back into what we know them to be, which is a, a, a good defensive ball team, uh, a complete offense, one that could throw the ball as well as run it. And when when push comes to shove and they need a, a, a yard or two where they line up in a power formation, put the ball in the running back stomach and tell them, go get two yards and get that first down. Or go get five yards and get that first down. So, Right now, they're probably testing the waters out because this is, you know, this is the first season that they have the full wide receiver offense. Um, so they're, you know, probably testing out, you know, plays and formations to see what works and what doesn't. You know, uh, seeing that it's got still kind of early in the season, but as the season matures and, and you know, and uh, the spring, you know, gets closer, um, you will see them start to pare down the playbook as to, and, and stick to what works. And, you know, and probably bring back some old reliables that, you know, we've come to know Baltimore for, and then you'll see that why they got to go running back again. But right now, yes, I agree. If they're going to continue to use Sanzo in this fashion, and, yes, that was a waste of, the waste of, waste of a tear. Um, on the who you got voting, Baltimore is leading Houston 33-18. to 18, And I did forget to mention that with Alaska and Atlanta. Atlanta's up 40 to 12 in the voting. Uh, Baltimore's the home team, you know, and I don't want to say, oh, we know how the AI loves the home team. I have to break it down the fact that the home team is only 14 and 10 this season, which I find to be very interesting. 
Um, but Houston, like I said, Houston for the most part, while they sit there two and one, they got this explosive offense, pretty good defense. Uh, you look at their games. They beat Mexico City, who's one and three, forty-two. I'm sorry, they lost to Mexico City, who's one and three, forty-two to twenty-seven. They were able to just come back and beat Vegas when it counted there at the end, 27-24. And then last week, they beat Queen City 34-20. And I had a talk, because I talked during the week with players, coaches, owners, and I actually had two people say to me they thought Houston would have beat Queen City by far more because of the lack of the generic corners, the non-stars. Um... You only win by 14 against the non-stars. So some people were like, oh, my God, that's that's not good. At the same time, I'm like, well, it is good. And that's when I was told, take a look at the numbers. So I went and looked at the numbers. 360 yards of offense, and you were outgained by Queen City by over 30 yards, and your quarterback only had 256 passing yards on 40 attempts against non-star corners. And I was like, okay, I get what they're saying now. Uh, If you play like that against Baltimore, you can't beat them despite the offensive and defensive numbers where they're ranked right now because they're going to get you. Uh, So clearly Houston is 2-1, could have been 1-2. They're happy to be where they're at, I'm sure. They're like every other team, they're starting to find their way. I'm sure they're making tweaks and making adjustments each week. They're only going to get better. Um, But I'm going to have to agree with who you got. I have to say Baltimore takes this game in a very close one. This is the kind of game I wouldn't be surprised that Baltimore kicks a field goal in the final seconds to win because it was tied. Or Baltimore's even trailing in the final seconds and has to score at the buzzer to get the victory. Okay. Um, Houston comes into this game with a defense that doesn't give up yards. Now, and really, if you think about it, this defense also doesn't give up big plays, except for that one Chris Davis, Matt Wilson connection where Matt, Matt basically just closed his eyes, threw up a rainbow. Chris Davis caught it in, like, what I believe to be a crowd. Like, literally, he was standing in the crowd, caught the ball and ran for a touchdown. Like, it was crazy. Besides that, Houston doesn't give a big play. Why do I bring this up? Why do you bring this up? We know that Baltimore always has in their playbook a fade. A couple of fades. A couple of fades. Um, fade for, a fade to gold. A fade to silver. And that if you're not ready to mitigate and and basically have your defensive backs in position to either get in the receiver's way to, you know, kind of hamper his route or reroute him or to have safety help over the top. So if the corner's beat, there's somebody there to either take the fade away or for to force the quarterback to go somewhere else except the fade. Um, that's, that's, that's basically seven on the board. Um, and yeah, don't believe me. Ask anybody that got a game plan from Baltimore. They'll tell you about. They, there's always a fade in there somewhere. Always a fade in there. Um, 
I believe Corky did his homework. I'm talking to you, big guy. Uh, I believe Corky did his homework, and he's prepared to he's prepared his defense to take fade away. Both sides, but in doing so, who have you now invited to be able to do some damage? Exactly, Mister Robinson. So I believe this is, this is going to be Mister Robinson's game right here. And I ain't talking about Sweet City. I'm talking about put the ball in his stomach. Let him do what he do. You know, get get three yards here, five yards here, two yards here, 15 yards here. If Corky, you know, plan to take the fade away, if he did not, then the fade would become a factor. And then uh, I'd rather give up three yards in a touchdown, but that's just me. If he did not plan to take the fade away, the fade will be a factor. A couple fades that won't go for touchdowns if he didn't factor the fades in. If he did factor the fades in, Sonzo is going to do his thing underneath to move the ball enough, and then they'll get in the red zone and get a score, whether a kicker or a touchdown. Offensively, Houston, do they have a big play in them? Matter of fact, a couple of big plays, because that's what's going to be necessary to put points on the board against Baltimore. Um, as we saw week one, when they played Atlanta, that's how Atlanta got points. They got a points up. They rectified when they played Sioux Falls. They took the big plays away, just sat in coverage, and dared Sioux Falls to matriculate, matriculate the ball down the field five to ten yards at a time, and that's where uh, – <laughs> And, and that's where um, Julie Tyree kind of got in trouble there, where they ran out of time to attempt to come back. Um, I believe Baltimore's finding their sea legs, and that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to, you know, force Houston to be patient, give Deion Hawkins a rock, tell, hey, Hawkins, beat us. And if he can't, then who will save them? Because Baltimore is not going to let just receivers running free in the secondary. That's not their that's not their mo. If you're going to beat them, you're going to beat them because your your running game, your running back was such a factor. He took over the game. He either ran for 200 or caught for or caught for 100 and ran for 100, and that's the way you're going to beat Baltimore. You're not going to beat them by coming back and throwing the ball for 400 yards. That's no, you're not going to do that. Now, that's not that the team is built to stop that exactly. Um, I like Boston. So saying all that, I like Baltimore in this. Um, by kick, by yes, the kicker MVP. I like Baltimore in this. I like Baltimore by field goal. Not that they'll have to kick it late, but they'll be up, and Houston will probably score, and that's where Baltimore will probably run out clock and they'll win by three at the end. And you know, something to tune 24, 21, 27, 24. And that's what I got. Fair enough. If I'm not mistaken, that comes week five. Awesome. I can't wait. Like these games on Sunday are good, man. you listen, even your even the game, including your game, because your game I wanna watch to see which adjustments St. Louis has made to both their offense and defense to make the team more competitive. Because if it's a learning process, process 
especially for, you know, us new teams, as well as, the, you know, as the veteran teams that are trying to build. It's a learning process. And I want to see the, the, the growth from game to game to game that St. Louis is undergoing. You know, Carolina, Oklahoma City is going to be a ball game. So far as Dallas, that's, the, that's going to be how many – between those two, how many times do you think the ball going to be in the air? 120, 130? Some ridiculous. That's basketball on grass right there. Um, Queen City, Vegas, the, the, the battle of the deep linemen, that's going to be awesome. The battle of the expansion team, you know, how many times can Cam mess up? We don't know. Somebody's going to get drunk in that game. Do, do we, hey, so, uh, and then we get the game of the week with, the, you know, Andy doing the play-by-play. That's going to be a good game, too. Every game is good this week. So the links will be posted by Cam um, sometime Sunday, minutes before the game. Y'all avail yourselves to those. We got a, um, the showcase game uh, 30 minutes before the showcase. We're going to have not even 30 minutes. I think it's an hour, right? An hour before the showcase. We're going to have a little preview and also um, highlight film from the this day's action. And <coughs> excuse me, Monday night, don't forget, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, game of the week, Houston, Baltimore. Let's get it. Right. Uh, well, we covered week four, recapped it, did the power rankings, preview of week five, uh, and now I'm going to get uh, K.L. Barrett, which is uh, letter five on Slack. Uh, he gave me some milestones, streaks, and things like that from the first four weeks of the season. Um, so this is the first time he's provided some information for us. Um, some of this has already been announced or known, but I'm going to go through the list so everybody gets a good listen to this stuff. Uh, the league on January the 29th had its 400th game, as everybody was aware. Uh, little t- uh, now we've got some tidbits on pretty much every team here. I think all of them are here. Uh, make sure he has some here. He gave me something. Twelve of the teams. Yeah, twelve of the teams here. So, all right. Uh, Las Vegas. The Las Vegas' last five games, of course, that's dating back into last season. Their last five games have all been decided by 10 points or less. Uh, Queen City. Queen City scored their 2,000th franchise point uh, in week one, uh, their first game of the season, which was in week two. Uh, The Oklahoma City Renegades, they played in their 70th all-time SFL game in their complete history on January the 24th when they played against the Sharks. Uh, speaking of the Sharks, L.A. played in their 70th game in league history uh, against the Storm on the 29th. Also in that game, they recorded their biggest victory margin of 35 points. Uh, they scored their 1,500th point in franchise history against the Skyhawks on February the 4th. Uh, speaking of the Skyhawks, Carolina. Dating back to last season, the Carolina Skyhawks now have seven straight defeats. Uh, They played in their 70th game in their team's history against the Sharks on February the 4th. Also in that game, they scored their 1,500 point in franchise history. Uh, Mexico City uh, against the Hyenas on January the 24th, they received their 1,500 points scored against this uh, yeah, they scored a 1,500 point, not against. I said that completely wrong. So they now have scored 15, 1,500 points in team history. Tallahassee dating uh, now 
since this season has four straight victories. Uh, they scored their 15th hundred point against the Skyhawks on the 24th. Uh, they received their 1,500 points scored against them on the 30th when they played the Swarm. Uh, they also recorded their biggest victory margin against the Gladiators on January the 15th. In uh, week one, when they got their victory, that snapped a six-straight run where they lost. So six straight defeats before they won that week one. Uh, Houston played in their 30th league game against the Corsairs on the 6th. Sioux Falls played in their 30th team. 30th game against the Storm on February the 4th, and Sioux Falls heading into this week needs to score six points, and they will reach the 1,000-point score mark in franchise history. Uh, Alaska, they have not scored more than 24 points in a game yet this season. Uh, Atlanta, they have not received less than 20 points yet, so they scored 20 or more each week. St. Louis, they have not won yet, and they have received more than 40 points scored on them each of the first three weeks, which is a league record. And those were some of the stats and streaks and milestones sent to me from uh, Flutter 5, and uh, if all goes well, he'll be dropping knowledge on me each week to share here on Inside the SFL. Nice. Um, I don't know if you have the schedule in front of you. want to give you all a brief, uh, you know, Keep a keep an eye on this next week kind of deal. Um, you know, a little foresight, I guess you could call it, for next week. There's a game that piques my interest, Mr. Bose. Um, you know, when you get – actually, you know, while you get your schedule up, I will tell you all what game this is. It is the Baltimore Crabs, my former team, at the Los Angeles Sharks, my, whole, my, my co-host's team. That game is going to be uh, epic. It's going to be a battle right there, especially if I, the, the outcomes go down the way that we expect. We're going to have two one-loss teams. It's going to be tight matches. It's going to be big swings. It's going to be big connections. It's going to be a battle of giants. Uh, well, okay, I'm sounding like Don King right now. Only in America. Um, it's, yeah, that game there. I got my own that game, especially since uh, in week six. Uh, we have a bye week. I think the Sparrows also have a bye week in week six. So we can just sit back after after Sunday. We can just sit back and enjoy the the the, the fracas. Is that a word? Okay, and enjoy the fracas, and and just get ready to sit back, kick back, and relax and watch week six unfold. Because we still got some battles going on for real, for real. I can't wait to see what's going on there. But let's let's get this weekend over first. Indeed. Uh... Those milestones that I just announced, I just copied and pasted the information sent to me from Flutter 5 and dropped it on the daily discussion board. So if anybody wants to double-check that information, it's there. Power rankings were posted on the Power Ranking channel. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's going to be an exciting week five. A lot of crucial games heading into week six. Um, the league is just getting better and better and better. Can you believe next week's the halfway point? Oh, ain't it already? Well, I, for for some, for some, for some, not for everybody, for some. Yeah, it's still you know, this 14-week this season, just, you know, those of you for a loop, so it's, it's, half, it's halfway for some, not all. I'm talking, I'm talking game-wise for some, but yes, once we get past week seven, it'll be the halfway point for everybody. There you, there you go, there you go, there you go. Let's, let's not count the eggs before, there you go. 
I get a bye week in week seven, so my halfway point will be in week six because I almost had my sixth game. Okay, so there you go. So, yeah, so we're very close to the halfway point. Uh, yes, I cannot believe it already. Feels like the season just started. So, but hey, as 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 a certain team can attest, the season is far from over. Everybody's still alive for the, to make the playoffs. All you gotta do is make those tweaks to take advantage of your build and expose expose weaknesses on other teams. I'm telling you that there's a chance for everybody. It's never too late. Do you have all six games this week in your head? For the like this, the ones that are play, being played this Sunday, Monday. Yes, you have all six of yeah. those games. In? All right. Yeah. Of those six games, I don't want no reasoning, no nothing. Just name the teams, and I want you to name one. Your 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 lock, the team that will win. No ifs, ands, or buts about it in your eyes, and the team that is considered the underdog that has the best chance of winning. So who's your lock? What team will win that should win? The Sharks. Okay, and which team should lose that you would bet your money on to win? Who's your, who would be your pick for the upset? Uh, and and those upsets would be based on the who you got. I'm looking uh, at the who you got now. Skyhawks are the underdog. Queen City's the underdog. Sioux Falls is the underdog. Uh, Alaska's the underdog. And Houston's the underdog. Carolina. There you go. Mighty has picked L.A. Sharks as his lock, and his underdog to the upset, his choice would be the Carolina Skyhawks. For me, my lock, I would have to pick myself. That's not biased. That's just being honest based on the history of the teams. And my upset would be Houston. I would pick Houston to have the best shot upon the upset. Okay. Okay, can't wait. Let's do it. Sunday can't get here fast enough, especially since I work 16 hours tomorrow. <laughs> so, and Andy's in there yelling, we ain't underdogs. You're down 28-24 in the voting, thus making you the underdog. Not yeah, you're the... Without, without dinner. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. That's all. Well, we've covered a lot of stuff. Redoing the playbook. Yeah, okay. What the heck Ramos is talking about? Uh, my bye weeks. Gotcha. Over. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, it's fun, fun times here on Inside the SFL. Um, but, yeah, I've been sitting here laying down doing this show for just about two and a half hours. Forgot to take my medicine about an hour ago. <laughs> 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 oh, hey boy. man, don't play with that message, man. We need you. We need you. A okay, because I could, I could, I could safely say this on behalf of your SFL family, bro. We need you right. So let's not skip out on medicine. <laughs> well, when you were going on there about that game, I took the medicine while you were talking. So okay, I got it in my system an hour, about an hour late. But hey, an hour late's better than not at all. There you go. And I'll be fixing that close the eyes and actually get some sleep here. But uh oh, but, yeah, we ran a little longer than we wanted, but it was a thorough show and 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 I think we 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 pretty much hit up everyone everything we want to hit up. So um if you got anything else to add, Doug, let me know. 
TJ said to me on the on uh, the discussion board when I mentioned we were going to do the show, he was like, no, don't do it. You need to rest. Um, I appreciated that, uh, knowing that, you know, he cares and he's concerned. Uh, that's a class guy, and uh, it's an honor to know him or whatnot and, and get to talk to him or whatnot. He's, he's the kind of guy I would love to be able to just pick up the phone and talk to every day. He's, he's that caliber of person. So I appreciate him expressing that concern. But as I stated in response, I'm resting, I'm relaxing, and if I sit here and dwell on what's going on and think about it 24-7, I'm going to stress. I want to keep my mind off it and enjoy it. And outside of my wife, my kids, I enjoy the SFL. And I can talk SFL every day. I can talk SFL all day because there's just so much you can talk about, so many bits and pieces we can discuss and break down things. I mean, if you sit here and you give me enough time, I can break down one game and give you a hundred excuses as to why both teams will win the game despite the records. It's just fun. I'm pretty sure you can do the same thing and probably everybody can do the same thing. Uh, But I just enjoy it. I love it. You can't get enough of it. I mean, hell, I wish we had three seasons in a year. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) done already, as I said, this season. Um, we've thrown out some interesting numbers tonight, you know, the strength of schedule. Uh, I'm sure some guys found interest in that. I'm going to take the time tomorrow to type that up, the strength of schedule for each team heads into this week. I'll start keeping track of it each week, of what, what the team's records are. But I did find it interesting that the teams sitting one and two in the power rankings have the 14th and 13th easiest schedule. Uh, the one and two easiest schedules, I should have said that. And the two teams that are 13 and 14 in the power rankings have had the toughest schedules. So uh, it makes things interesting, puts things in a lot of perspective. You know, you got to break things down the whole. So, again, I mean, right now, we're right now in the room, we have still A.J. Levy's in there, Andy Hamilton, Mark Chisholm, Jason McGee, so that, Ramos Slim, Corky, uh, Ryan Nickens. And I believe, you know, and there's some other guys in here. Appreciate all you guys being in there, uh, interacting. I wish we could get more guys on inside the SFL in the chat room talking. It's the same thing with the power rankings. I would like to see full house, if you will. And I'm not talking Bob Saget and John Stamos. Uh, I'm talking involvement, involvement, involvement. Like, like Frank, he's got some issues with the uh, fantasy. Uh, hit up True Shot Caller, see if you can help him out to keep the fantasy going. Um, but we need interaction here on this show to keep wanting to want to do this. We need interaction on Slack, you know. Stay active. Do your part. Hit up your team channel. Get involved. Um, how can you not enjoy the SFL? I mean, the SFL as my wife calls it, is my mistress. And all intents and purposes, she's right. (laughs) So let's just do whatever we can to support each other, the league, whatever way we can do it. Bed that up. I I fully agree. And and I make sure that on the, at least once every two or three days, I get in team chat and, and let them know what's going on. Uh, you know, to avail themselves to the who you got, 
it's up to the fantasy football, you know, um, when True uh, dropped that message, I made sure I reposted that message inside the channel to make sure that, hey, guys, chip in, man. If y'all love the league, let's, let's do something to keep it going, keep it strong. So um, I would I would suggest you guys do the same and, you know, and let, let's, let's keep on pushing, pushing for more involvement and bigger and better things. Because, you know, we, love, we, all, we all love this league and we want to see it flourish. Second, that sentiment. Let's put this one to bed so I can go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Again, all those guys who tuned in, appreciate it. All you who listen to the playback, we appreciate it. So, for Mighty, the Alaska Storm owner, that's right, the Alaska Storm, I'm Doug Bose. We'll catch you on the next episode. Good night. Peace. Peace.